Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. If you have your Bible, would you stand with me and turn to Colossians chapter 3? And even if I didn't have coffee, I would be equally as excited and ready to jump in with you. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Colossians 3, verse 1, it'll also be on the screen behind me. It says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 2 again. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Father, I thank you for our time of worship. Father, just for... uh, sensing your presence in this place. Lord, an atmosphere of breakthrough. Lord, where anything is possible. Lord, even as we open your word, I pray for that same anointing, Lord, to transition into the preaching of your word. God, I pray for open hearts to receive what you have to say. And Father, I simply ask for your anointing upon me, upon my mind, my lips, my heart, that I might speak your word as you intend it to be communicated. I thank you for this humble privilege that we have. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated this morning. This morning, I want to speak with God's help and on the subject of perspective. And I've entitled the message, Shift Your Perspective. Shift Your Perspective. And... In Colossians, in the text we read, there's, it starts off by saying, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. So if you are a recipient of God's love, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. By the way, His love is made available to anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says you shall be saved. So if you consider yourself a Christian, a believer, you have then been raised to new life in Christ. And what the author is telling us in chapter 3 is that that reality is supposed to change how we live life here on earth. I don't know if you're always aware, but there are two realities. And today we're going to consider what Scripture has to say and how that should change how we live. But because of that fact, the Colossians now share in his resurrection life, and their lives are supposed to be different. And as believers, so are our lives. So their interests are to be focused on Christ. That's where their interest is. As a believer, our interest should also be focused on Christ and what he has for us to do in this world. Their minds, their aims, their ambitions, their their life goals. In fact, their whole outlook, right? He's talking to them about that. Their whole outlook and all of those things are to be centered on that heavenly realm where Christ rules and where their lives truly belong. 
The same is true for every believer here today. A lot of times it's easy to be preoccupied with the here and the now. There are a lot of questions, there are a lot of answers maybe that we're looking for, and we're preoccupied. And we have um, a never-ending list of things that are still left undone. And so it takes, for the believer, it takes a continuous, ongoing effort. It doesn't come naturally to think about the things of heaven, the realities of heaven. And living here on earth, um, every day we should be checking, as believers always, to see that our ambitions and our lifestyle, how I live, aligns with this heavenly reality. Right? Because you should be able to look at my life, not just because I'm a pastor, especially though because I'm a believer, that my lifestyle and my goals, my ambitions, align with this heavenly reality. Is it wrong to have a goal to upgrade from a townhouse to a house or from a semi to a detached? I would say no. If, if your family is growing and your needs have changed, it's okay. It's not wrong to have goals for this life, but we cannot put those goals above what our purpose is in this life. I mean, sure, we need a house to sleep in. We need a pillow for our head. But there's also this heavenly reality that as a believer that my lifestyle and my goals, my ambitions, have to align. Now, it's easy to lose sight of that. Why? Well, because it's not necessarily a here and now reality, although it is, it's just unseen, right? It's, it's, a, it's a real reality that exists. It's a heavenly reality that's real, it exists, but I don't see it with my human eyes therefore it's hard to always live in that reality but it's way easier to live in this reality can I get a witness right and I think that's why we get preoccupied with all of these things of earth but here's something interesting since you have given your lives to Christ and he has raised us to new life aren't I dead to this life Yes, I'm dead to this life. I've been raised to new life in Christ. So therefore, I should, as a believer, walk in this new reality, which is a heaven-to-earth perspective. Oftentimes, we live from earth to heaven. We go through problems, and then we go to heaven and say, Lord, I need help because of this, because of that, because of this. We've become very used to this way of living. If you're sick, you see the doctor, you take the prescribed meds. If you're depressed, you can get high even legally now. And it's okay. And this is what they'll say to try and to do. If you suffer with emotional pain from all these experiences that you've had in life, you numb it or you can numb it by drinking. If you have marital problems, have an affair. If it feels good, do it. And if it benefits you, do it. This is how we begin to think. What can I get out of this relationship? And then we try to weigh and say, nah, that relationship's not worth it. Let me try it with this person and see what's in it for me. And this is how we live in this realm. 
it's very me-centered. But when we begin to live with a kingdom perspective, with a heaven-to-earth perspective, it's very different. And life will be very different. I remember in Bible school, we had a, a, one of our teachers speaking in the chapel service. And uh, just because you're in Bible school, it doesn't mean sin doesn't exist or temptation doesn't exist. Uh, I remember several students being kicked out for sinful habits and things that should not be in anyone's life, let alone in Bible school. Um, so just because you're enrolled in Bible school doesn't mean you're all holy, holy. Uh, but I remember this one teacher uh, preaching in chapel said, Listen, students, if you are struggling with habitual sin, you're living too me-centered, too self-centered. Start, stop praying for yourself. It sounds like it's the antithesis. But they said, she said, stop praying for yourself and start focusing on other people. Start praying for the needs of other people, even though you yourself are struggling. Why? Because you're going to take the attention and the focus off of self, and now you're going to begin living with a different perspective. And I, I had to think about it for a long time for it to register and make sense in my life. But it is true. When you're praying and you're living in this, this cycle of sin that just seems to repeat and repeat, You're going to only go to the Lord to say, God, I'm sorry, I messed up again. Please forgive me of my sins. Me, me, me. Everything is me-centered still. And you're of no kingdom use or value yet. yet. But when you start to shift your perspective onto other people, guess what? I noticed those things I used to deal with, they're not even important. I don't even think about them. I don't even focus on them because I'm starting to think and focus on other people. It's just a shift in your prayer life, in your perspective, but it also has other benefits in your own life. And so my question today is, with all of those things that we have to go through in life and we get preoccupied with, what if we saw things from a different perspective? What if you shifted your perspective from that of earth to that of heaven? And this morning... If you wear glasses, I can use this example, and you'll know exactly what I mean. Without my glasses, everyone looks, I could kind of make out the first couple of rows, but it's really blurry. When I put these on, right, my perspective of the room is, oh, there are a lot of people. Oh, they're looking at me right now. I'm holding the mic, right? But without this, like, I don't know. You could be staring at the screen. I'm, I'm less aware of, of the reality that's in front of me. And John Maxwell, in his book, called Winning with People, talks about the lens principle. And basically, the lens principle is this. Who we are determines how we see others. Who we are determines how we see others. And in case I forget to, to make our way here at the end, I'm going to say it now. Okay? If you understand the illustration with the glasses... If you leave with nothing else today, leave with this. I'm going to get the perspective of heaven. So it's like God giving us his lens and we're starting to put it on. And we're starting to look at people not with our human eyes, but with spiritual eyes that God has given us. To see not through our eyes, but to see through his eyes the people that he puts in our path. And this is very important. So this lens principle, who we are determines how we see others. So I've been thinking about this phrase for a number of weeks now. 
But here's the thing. So if who we are determines how we see others, how do you define who you are? How, how do we define who we are? And there are two ways to answer this question. There's the earthly perspective. So, hi, I'm Jonathan Manna. I'm 36 years old. I'm turning 37 next month. Uh, I was born in Montreal. I'm the son of uh, immigrant parents from Italy. And um, I'm the third child. My parents' names are Tony and Angie. Like, this is the context um, that when you say, who are you, this is kind of what we would naturally say. And there's nothing wrong with that perspective and that answer, but that's just who I am here on this earth. Now, if I'm a believer, I have a second perspective, which is a, a heavenly perspective on how I can and how I should answer this question. So from this perspective, the first one, I'm, I'm simply a byproduct of my upbringing and my life experience, right? A lot of times when I'm coaching couples, they're about to get married. How their families work plays a lot into their thoughts about marriage and the husband's wife and the, uh, the husband's role and the wife's role and how this all should work together. And that's okay. This is why we, we do some coaching before we get to the, the altar, now, when it comes to a heavenly perspective, you see, it's hard because we're a little tainted by our experience and our upbringing, but we always have to go to the Word of God to understand who we are. And this is nothing new. If you've grown up in church, you know that there are a whole bunch of things Scripture has to say about us. But this morning, I just I wanted to list not all of them because we would be here all a very long time, but the ones that I felt were very important. And maybe, who knows, you're in this place and you're in this room today and God wants you to hear some of these things because this is not what I think about myself. This is how God thinks about His sons and His daughters. So the heavenly perspective sounds Something like this by way of an introduction. I'm complete in Christ. Colossians 2.10 I am alive with Christ. Ephesians 2.5 I have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. Ephesians 2.6 If you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, that's a heaven-to-earth perspective that we ought to have in life. I am God's workmanship, or His handiwork, created in Christ to do good works that He has prepared for me to do, Ephesians 2.10. I am filled with the peace of God, Philippians 4.7. I am a joint heir with Christ, Romans 8.17. I am more than a conqueror through Christ, Romans 8.37. I am part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a purchased people. 1 Peter 2.9 I am the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 I'm saved. I am delivered. I am healed. For some of you who know this older song, I'm signed, sealed, delivered. I know. I have received the power of the Holy Spirit, and He can do miraculous things through me. Mark 16, 17, and 18. And lastly, I have authority and power over the enemy in this world. Luke 10, 17 to 19. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me. 
Oh, yeah, by the way, I forgot to tell you my name. I'm Jonathan Manna. Different introduction, right? Now, I wouldn't tell someone that on the first time I would meet them. I would probably say the first one. But I live, I should live in the reality of the second one. My name is Jonathan. All of those facts are true. Where I was born, who my parents are. And they're not wrong. They're right. But what's also true of me is all of those things I just said and more. I didn't make them up. Every one of them had a scripture verse tagged next to it because it's not what I think we are in Christ. It's who God says we are in Christ. And this is the power of living with the heavenly reality in your life. It's an awareness that doesn't come necessarily naturally. I have to check myself every single day because what is natural with this carnal mind is to think about the here and now, the problems, the issues, how am I going to make it, how am I going to get through, how does this all work, how does this all make sense, and those are the questions that I don't know if we'll ever be able to answer, but what I do know is God says a whole lot of things about me that I can count on, because if I just made them up, then I have to back up what I just said, but because God has said that about you and about me, He has to back up what he said. Can you say amen? Because the power is not in you and it's not in me because of us. It's in us and through us because of him. This is the key, my friend, to the heavenly perspective. And that is who I am from a heavenly perspective. And that is who you are from that same perspective. So the lens principle, right? This is what we're talking about today in this shift of your perspective. We're looking through the lens. So who we are determines how we see others. Who we are determines how we see others. If I'm looking with my human eyes, my human perspective, and I look upon terrible situations, guess what my conclusion is? Ooh, I feel so bad for that person. Ooh, oh man, I... Thank God that's not me, right? And, and these are things that kind of maybe we say to ourselves when we see others' situation or their plight or, or the, the, the great need of our sister churches even across the world. We go, ooh, thankfully I'm in Canada. Mm, oh, that's so bad. What kind of a perspective are we looking at these situations from? Earthly perspectives. Today... God is going to teach us to look through his lens. But here's the reality. Who we are determines how we see others. So in other words, we don't see others as they are. We see others as we are. And this is an important distinction. We don't see others as they are. We see others as we are. So it's my thinking and my thoughts are actually being processed as I would speak about someone or, or look upon someone. I'm reading into their situation and projecting my, who, who I think and what I think onto their situation. And I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right. That's why I don't like being judgmental. You'll never hear from this pulpit uh, criticism about another ministry, another pastor, another church, another evangelist, even someone who's made the news headlines. Except for maybe, hey, let's pray for these people. Why? Well, at the end of life, 
I don't respond to them. I respond to God. And if I'm going to treat my life and do make my own decisions, guess what? I have to respond to God just like you will have to respond to God, just like anyone else will have to respond to God for their choices and their actions and their decisions. And so the important thing through the lens is that we see others as God sees them, not as we see them. You see how it all ties in now? I think for too long... Uh, we've seen people walk through doors of church. This is a general statement, not about Weston, uh, but, but we kind of like eyeball them up and down, right? We want to form an opinion. We want to kind of get a feel and say, you know, maybe you try to guess. My wife, by the way, she's very analytical. Um, like she just analyzes the environment. Uh, she studied psychology and all that stuff. And sometimes she looks at me in that way. I'm like, what, what are you doing? What are you thinking, right? And we could be at a restaurant, and, I mean, her eyes are everywhere. But for me, I'm so not interested in the analytical part. I'm just like, let's enjoy the food, and let's, let's catch up with no kids around type of thing, right? But we can do that also in church. And we can look around, and, and we can size somebody up based on what they're wearing and, and at what time they walked in, Maybe how they're dressed. You know, we try to gauge what do they do for a living. Uh, all of these things. But in church, what should our preoccupation be? When we're gathered, this is our preoccupation. It's with God. And our prayer every Sunday as we prepare for church is uh, we want every distraction to be silenced so that our preoccupation would be with Him. Let us be preoccupied and we don't want to look at people with our own eyes. You know, I think about when Jesus would get off the boat, and we read through one of the stories last week about the feeding of the 5,000. It says that he's looking out at the people, and it's very specific, the word that's used. He looks at them, and it's with compassion. He said, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. When was the last time you looked at someone and you looked beyond their clothes, and you looked beyond their appearance, and you saw their spiritual depravity. You saw how lost they were without the love of God, without the hope of Jesus. When was the last time you looked beyond the surface, and you saw the real need that people might have, which is a need of the heart, not a, need, a physical need that money could buy. You see, this is how life begins to change when you look at people. I remember this uh, from a movie with Superman. I don't remember which one, Superman Returns or something. I don't watch a ton of them. But I remember uh, when he's with Lois Lane, it's like supposed to be a romantic thing. But the pastor, you know, the, the spirit inside of me kept thinking about a spiritual application. But they kind of rise up and she doesn't realize, but they start floating up over the city. And, you know, it's the view and all of that stuff. But... Uh, she wrote an article, I think Lois Lane said, all the reasons why the world doesn't need a hero. So when they're floating up, um, Superman says to her, he goes, do you hear that? And she's like, not really. I just hear the hustle and bustle of the city. He goes, well, I hear the cry of every single person in trouble. And the pastor in me and the Holy Spirit in me began to say, that's, I think, how God must hear all of us. That 
other people with an earthly perspective, like you listen and all you hear is cars driving by, horns honking, people yelling at each other. But God hears the heart cry of every single person. And, and there's this restlessness because she hears nothing. It's a romantic scene. For him, he's like, you hear all these other things starting to come into play as you would watch that scene. And it kind of gives you, the viewer, a perspective of what Superman hears. Imagine if God began to give you and I the heavenly reality, that perspective of the lost and the broken and the sick and the poor and the dying and the lonely and the widow and the orphan. Could you imagine I mean, I pray that our lives are so yielded to God that we get to that point, even as a church, as individuals, as families. Um, you know, 401 in Weston, when we get off the highway there, usually there are people begging for money. And we see them every single, and we've been doing this for seven years almost now. And, uh, but for my son, he only recently began to take note. And he said, I have some, can, can, we, can we give some money? And we've done it on several occasions, but I just don't carry a lot of cash. I said, do you have, it? You have some money? He's like, sure. And so we rolled down the window, and he put his arm out, and he gave some money. And uh, he was so happy. It made us as parents really happy as well. And then uh, Priscilla was like, Josiah, that was so, so kind of you to give. You know, the Bible says that uh, he who gives to the poor lends to God. And he repays, his, he repays us. And, and it's such a beautiful picture, a teaching opportunity for us about what we're able to do for people. But we're actually, you know, it's a transaction like this, but it's also like this. And Josiah said, it's okay, but I didn't give all the money I have. He's like, so next time we come, I can still give more. And I thought, that's, that's so cute. And, and this is the thing. So we're trying to foster not an earthly perspective, but a heavenly reality. You see the difference? The earthly perspective would look at that person and say, yeah, they're probably going to just go buy cigarettes or waste it on booze or go to McDonald's because they're always with their coffee anyways. And, and to be honest, I felt some of those sentiments, uh, not just sometimes, many times. But then I remember what the Word says. It's like if I'm giving to them, I'm actually lending to God. It doesn't say to analyze how you think they're going to spend it and what they're going to spend it on and then um, base your decision on, on your findings, on your conclusions. Oh, scientist. Oh, 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 inspector. Oh, smart person. That's not what the scripture tells us. It just says if you do this, it's like this to God. This is how he views it. And I think we just need to learn to silence what this guy wants to think all the time and just to begin to say, God, this is what your word says, so this is how I'm going to walk. This is what your word says, so this is what I'm going to live now. My lifestyle and my ambitions should start to align on a daily basis with the heavenly reality in my life. Can you say amen? So we don't see others as they are. This is the, the earthly reality. We, we don't see others as they are. We see them as we are. And, and when I'm talking about the earthly me, that's just based on my experience in life and my upbringing. But we also don't see others as they are. We see them as God sees them. And that's the heavenly reality. Think about it this way. Um, you know the store Winners? 
there are two people and they both need a top. They go into the store. The first person loves shopping, right? They go and they rummage through the racks and there are a ton of racks. Uh, and you just, it's like never ending, right? You can go and look and look and look and you can find all of these tops. The second person Right? By the way, they find what they're looking for, and they're happy. The second person hates shopping. Hates shopping. They go to Winners, same store, same need. They look for 10 minutes. They find nothing. And the whole 10 minutes they spent at Winners, they were wishing they were not there. Okay? And you might identify with one of those two people. But here's the reality. One person got what they needed. The second person didn't. Now, it's not that Winners has no tops, right? No, Winners has tops. It just depends the eye that's looking, right? And the perspective of the eye that's looking. So we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. You hate shopping? Guess what? You're going to have a hard time finding clothes. You love shopping? You'll always walk out with something in your hand, even if you didn't even need it. So we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. So here's the thing. You can have two people in the same room. This is a great context if you want to look at church. You can have two people in the same room dealing with the same scenario or problem or experience. One person discerns something, sees something, and the other person doesn't. It's a reality. I've walked into situations with a friend or even my wife where I thought everything was cool. And then on the way home, they're like, did you pick up on, did you discern, did you notice? I'm like, I didn't see any of that. How, how, like, I, I'm oblivious, I guess. But then my wife would pick up on certain things that were way over my head, but that she saw. Same room, same scenario, same environment, two totally different perspectives, two totally different outcomes. I leave, you know, everything's cool. She's leaving thinking, oh, no. <laughs> Not, not in our marriage, by the way, just in any scenario. So there's a saying, change your perspective, change your life. Change your perspective, change your life. When you engage with heaven's perspective, you begin to see an entirely different world for yourself. This is what I truly believe. You want to change your life? Begin to change your perspective. Not, not just think, oh, if I could put myself in their shoes, what would they say? What would they think? What would they do? I mean, that has some value. And there is wisdom in, in the broad counsel of many. But the perspective we're specifically focusing on today is the, the perspective of heaven. And I want to wrap everything up today in one more story out of 2 Kings chapter 6. If you have your Bible, would you turn there? 2 Kings chapter 6. One of the most incredible stories that I love to think about and read through. Let me give you some context before we jump in. Um, basically, in this chapter, um, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And every time he makes a plan, Elisha, the prophet of God, somehow knows. 
And he tells the king of Israel, this is the plan. This is how he's going to plan to attack. And so they're always prepared for the next move that the king of Aram and the Aramean army are going to do. So they're always a step ahead. He gets frustrated because he's like, what is going on? There must be a traitor here in my, in my ranks, in my guys. So when he calls them out and he says, okay, who is it here? They're like, no, 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 no one here. We don't, we don't spill the beans. They said, it's the man of God, the prophet Elisha. And he says, he even knows what you do in, pri- in the privacy of your own bedroom. And he's obviously perturbed by that, but he's like, okay, so that makes sense. They plan, he says, he sends some men. He says, go find out where he is. And he said, after that, we're going to go and attack him. So we're going to pick up in this story uh, at verse 14. So they come back and they say, we found him. He's in Dothan. And so in verse 14, this is what it says. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. And listen to this incredible response. Verse 16, 2 Kings chapter 6. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. And you see in this incredible story, the servant wakes up early in the morning goes outside to his shock he sees oh we're surrounded we're we're in trouble his perspective was only human he looked around and and all he saw was it was very real you can't say well don't worry it's not really there no what he saw with his eyes was real whatever you have seen as a problem in your life, I don't, I don't think you're crazy. I don't think you're out to lunch. You know your body. You know your finances. You, you know yourself. You know your family. I, I, don't, I don't think you're crazy if you feel sick today in your body. If you, if you come later for prayer, I, I'd say, no, this is serious if you feel that way to the point where you're, you want to turn to God. I pray we would turn to God first before we get Uh, to the doctors and all of that other stuff. But it was very real. He saw all around. He sees all these troops and chariots and horses. And he's scared. He's genuinely scared because he's like, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. But the man of God steps out. And you have to understand, Elisha doesn't see like this with his human perspective or his human eyes. But Elisha has the lens that we've been talking about today. He could see into a realm that no human eye could see. And I would call it the spiritual realm. How many of you know that we don't wage war with, with physical weapons, right? It's a spiritual battle we fight. And the weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal, but they are mighty 
through God for the pulling down of strongholds. And so when you put on God's glasses, God's lens, and you look at life, you can see things with, that with your human eye you could never see. You can discern as well. So Elisha already sees it, but what was the, the big issue is that the servant could not see it. And I, this, in the same way, I believe some of you are here, and we both could see the human reality of your situation. But here's the thing. There's a second reality. It's what God sees for your life. And, and my prayer, just like Elisha had to pray, he said, Oh God, open his eyes that he might see. And when he looked, he could now see everything Elisha saw. Elisha's declaration was this, Don't, don't be afraid. For there are way more on our side than there are on theirs. And I want to declare over every single person here today that greater is he who is inside of you than he who is in the world. And what I mean by that is the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. That we have access to something that the world does not know. But my prayer today for every single person here is simply this, oh God, Would you open our eyes that we might see what you see? Oh God, would you open our eyes that we might see what you see? See, we don't see things as they are anymore, but we see things as God sees them. That is the shift in your perspective that you need to have today. Oh God, open my eyes that I might see what you see. That you would not only see people as they are, but you would see people as heaven sees them. That you would not only see your situation for what it is, but as heaven sees it as well. You know, the Bible says in heaven there will be no more tears. He'll wipe every tear away. In heaven there's no sickness. And there's no disease. So if the reality of heaven is accessible now. Why is it accessible? Through Jesus Christ. He made a way. When Jesus died, the veil in the temple was torn in two. And it's very important and specific as to the way it was ripped. It wasn't ripped from the bottom up. right? And what was this veil in the temple for? It would uh, basically stop anyone from entering the Holy of Holies, which only the priests could enter. And so when this veil in the temple was ripped from the top down, it was heaven signifying to earth that you now have access as it was ripped from the top to the bottom. And it's important for you to understand everything you need, he's made available already. There's an open heaven. You just need to be made aware of it. And today I believe that We're all at that point. We, we're all hearing the message today that we need to start seeing life and living life as a, as a result, as a byproduct of seeing with a heavenly perspective. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet because I want to leave room for prayer this morning as I believe now that you, you see things differently, this is my prayer, this is my hope, that you're going to have a faith now that's rising and stirring in your heart. And we're going to pray and we're going to believe God together. Can you say amen? 
in this atmosphere of worship and prayer. I'm just going to open up these altars that if you would want to receive prayer, that you would meet me at the front. And we're going to believe together that God can do for you what you can't even do for yourself. Amen. So would you make your way forward if you want to receive prayer? We're going to believe together in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. There's an open heaven today that all we need to do is call on the name of the Lord. And I want to say this, no matter how great your need might be, there's nothing special about these hands that I'm going to lay on you. There's nothing special about me. But you know what's important? That we recognize who God is. He's the healer. He is the deliverer. He is mighty to save. All I'm doing is going to come. I'm going to lay my hands and we're going to pray in faith, believing that whatever your need is, that God is able to not only meet it, but to exceed your every expectation. The only requirement is that we, we have faith that He can do it. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we're not here just to please Him, but we're here because we have a need today. And I want you to know that Jesus paid the ultimate price for each one of us that we don't have to walk as a slave to sin. We don't have to walk in fear. We don't have to walk in bondage. We don't have to walk with anxiety, depression, all of those things that might want to attach themselves to your life. We walk in the freedom and in the power of the cross that Jesus died and he rose again for you and for me in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you're in your seat, I'm going to invite you just to, to create an atmosphere of prayer in this place. We'll close the service in a few minutes, but I want to pray for those that are here. I want to also invite if any of the deacons want to make their way forward and just help me pray for the people. We're, we're believing for breakthrough in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to our Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.